Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Daniel chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave. Well, two years after the end of World War II, three Middle Eastern Bedouins made their way along the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea near the place called Qumran. As the story is commonly told, one of these nomadic and desert-dwelling goat herders threw a rock into a cave. And when he threw the rock into the cave, he was expecting to hear a sound of like the rock hitting other rocks and just kind of uh, ricocheting off because his intention was to scare the animal that had gone astray and was lost and he was trying to scare it out uh, so that he could bring it back uh, with all the other animals. But what he heard was the breaking of like a ceramic pot. And as he went into the cave, it was really dark, and as his eyes adjusted, he started to see along the wall a number of ceramic vessels that, uh, or clay vessels that had, some had lids on them, some didn't. And he found some items that kind of looked like this, linen cloths that inside had wrapped, and he found some scrolls. Now, little did he know this simple sheep herder could not possibly have known that from this dry, protected cave, he Uh, would find these scrolls that would bring to light things that had remained hidden for 2,000 years. From 1947 to 1979, nearly 1,000 manuscripts would be recovered from 11 different caves near the settlement of Qumran. And the contents of one of the scrolls resembled the picture of a literal body resurrection that we find here in Daniel 12. As we come 
to this chapter, we discover the vision that Daniel has is meant for another time. Because in verse 4, it says, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. But this vision points to a future that we should anticipate. It was hidden from those who were around Daniel at the time, but it's actually not hidden from us. And as we look at this vision, we are going to find in this chapter 10 certainties that Daniel sees not only in his future, but in our future as well. Now, we're probably not going to get to all 10 this morning, but maybe we'll get to five. So the first one, The first certainty is there will come a time of trouble. Look at your Bibles in Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Trouble in the future. It would have been hard to hear again for Daniel about trouble in the future because for him, there was trouble in the present. We sing a song at this time of the year, at least I sing a song at this time of the year that, that quotes Isaiah 9-2 that says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now this darkness, they were experiencing this darkness. Daniel was experiencing this darkness. Remember, he had been in captivity for 70 years. He's probably pushing 90 years old, if not 90 years old. The people of God had gone back to Jerusalem, at least some of them, to rebuild the temple, and that had stopped. And it seemed hopeless, helpless. And then he gets a vision that paints a picture for him that's not great. And now he hears there's going to be more trouble. As we remember, as we studied last week, this vision caused him to mourn and to grow ill and to not eat for weeks because of the darkness that was coming upon his people. We learned that the Jewish people from last week in chapter 11, they were going to live under hardship and war for generations. People would be killed by the thousands. The temple, though it was going to be rebuilt, it was going to be defiled by an evil leader that was known as the abomination of desolation, and he would come to power, as we learn in Daniel eleven thirty one. Now, a time of trouble wasn't just coming for them. A time of trouble is coming for us. So leave your finger here in chapter 12, and I want you to flip to Matthew. Flip to the right in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. So you'll pass through the rest of the prophets in the Old Testament. You'll come uh, to Matthew, and we'll be briefly in Matthew chapter 24. We'll start in verse 15. It says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Contrary to some opinions, things are not getting better. The Bible doesn't teach that things are going to get better. The Bible doesn't teach that we're going to have some great election that will elect someone that will come into power, have a king rise up into power from this world, uh, that everything will change and everything's just getting better. It's going to get worse. But we don't have to fear. And the reason that this is being told to us, Jesus is telling us, as it goes on in verse 23, it says, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he hears, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So there are those that are going to come and they're going to say that they're the Savior. Some will even call themselves the Christ. And Jesus wanted us to make sure that when it gets worse, that we don't fall and we aren't duped by the false Christs that are out there, the false messiahs, the people that say, we've got the solution and it's here right now, or even saying, I am the solution. Jesus wanted us to be clear on what his return would look like. Let's just briefly look at 26 and 27. It says, though, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So you never have to wonder, has Jesus come back yet? I can absolutely assure you that you are not going to question the day when Jesus comes back. In fact, there's absolutely going to be no one in the entire world that's going to question, is this Jesus? Because it's going to happen and it's going to be so bright, just like the lightning shines from the east into the west, everyone is going to know. But still, Jesus wants us to know trouble is coming and God wanted to reveal to his people that trouble was coming, so he spoke through Daniel. So we need to know so that we aren't led astray when those who come speak untruths. We need to know to not be afraid because, as it says in Matthew, the days are going to be cut short. We learned about that last week. The days aren't going to do it. It's not going to be too much that we can handle. We can look into the future and go, it's, it's getting worse. I'm concerned. I, I'm really worried. You don't have to worry. There's going to be grace there available for you to endure the challenges that are coming. You need not fear. But the Lord doesn't want us to be surprised that trouble is coming. Because when trouble is coming, that means that, means that Jesus is coming. When trouble is coming, that means that Jesus is coming. 
And things start to come into focus for us. Rather than be worrying about how we build up things in this life, we get more excited about the next. So remember, trouble's coming, but when trouble's coming, that means that Jesus is coming. So let's not love the things that don't last. Let's love the things that last. So there's a certainty that there'll be a time of trouble, but there's also a certainty that there's going to be a special book at the end. Look again at verse 1. There shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So if you're concerned about the trouble that's coming, you might know that there's a deliverance that's coming. But there's a deliverance that's coming for those whose names are written in the book. What's the book? There's a special book that's actually talked about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the contents of the book of life refer to those across the ages who genuinely are in God's covenant family. Isaiah 4.3 refers to the book as recorded for life. Exodus 32 references the book. Malachi 3.16-18 uses the phrase, the book of remembrance. So this book is talked about, obviously, here in Daniel and in other parts, but it's also talked about in the New Testament. Paul uses the phrase, the book of life, in reference to his fellow workers when he references them in Philippians 4. And John connects the book of life to the time of the second death and the consummation at the end of the age in Revelation 20. And in speaking of heaven, John says this in Revelation 21. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. When I was in high school, I tried out for the basketball team. And the basketball coach, he had a special notebook that he kept with him. Actually, it wasn't really that special. It was just a notebook. But for us, it was a special notebook because in that notebook, the, the coach put all of his notes uh, through tryouts. You could see him writing in it. You were wondering what he was writing in it. And why was that notebook so special? Because we knew out of that notebook would come a list. And that list would be posted outside of the locker room the day after the last tryout. And we knew if our name was on that list, we made the team. And we knew if our name wasn't on that list, forget it. There was nothing we could do to get ourselves back on the team. The list decided. If you were on the list, you were in. If you weren't on the list, you were out. And there's a deliverance coming for those whose names are on the list. So how do I get my name on the list? It's not like Santa's lists. Santa, oh, he's making a list. He's checking it twice, right? He's going to find out who's. The reality is is, uh, Santa's real, but he never comes because we've all sinned. There's no one who's righteous, not one. That's what the Bible says. So we'll never know if if Santa's going to ever come because there's no one to come take presents to. 
So how do you get on the list? The only way you get on the list is trusting in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get on the list because we've all fallen short. So that's how we get, because there's going to be a list. There's going to be a special book and it will be opened and a great deliverance is going to happen. So why do I have to trust in Jesus? Why do I want to be on the list? Because of the certainty that we're going to look about next, the certainty that there will be a resurrection for everyone. Look at verse two. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I'm going to read that again. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. No one is going to be left out in the resurrection. There's not a place where people just die and then they just go and then that's it. Everyone will be resurrected. Everyone. But here's the reality. Everyone will be judged one day. Everyone's going to face the throne of judgment some say, I even watched a video this week of a famous athlete who said, I, I grew up in church, but I just can't believe in a God that, that says he's all loving and good and kind, and yet, you know, half of humanity doesn't get to go to heaven. That's just, I just don't believe in that. But here's the reality, friends. We see it all around. Everyone seems to be wanting justice. There's a cry out. There's injustice. There's injustice in so many aspects of our society and around the world that aren't just happening now, but have happened for generations. And there's a demand. We want justice. And we do want justice. And the reality is, for justice to be served, it means someone has to face the consequence for their wrongdoing. That's when justice is served. So you wouldn't want a God who was loving and not just. And he is. And we know from Matthew 25 what this judgment is going to look like. Matthew 25, 31 to 34 says, when the son of man comes in his, all, in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then if you jump to 41 and 46, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Will you be on the right or will you be on the left? We all have to answer that question. Because in this season of time, we, we aren't celebrating a helpless baby. We're celebrating a humble servant. 
who came in the form of mankind and he lived a perfect life to go to the cross. But when he comes back, he's risen from the dead, he's going to judge. And the only way to be on his right is to trust in him, to confess your sins and to believe in him. So whether you're watching from home or whether you're here right now, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I would implore you to do that today. Don't miss this season that points us to the Christ. Talk with someone you came with, talk with your parents, talk with Wes or I before you leave here or one of the leaders or one of the greeters who came in, talk with somebody. We want to pray with you. Because the judgment is real, prophesied about here in Daniel, Jesus tells about it coming in Matthew. When the day of separation comes, will you know Christ? Even as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, there's a lines that say, from the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. He has closed the path to misery. If we would just trust in him, you will be found in him because there's going to be a resurrection for everyone and a great separation. Certainty number four, there will be a great transformation. There's going to be a great transformation. Look at verse three. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of, of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So when it says those who are wise, it's not just talking about smart people. Like if you're worried, like, oh, I didn't do that great in school. I'm, I'm not super smart. No, when it's talking about wise, it's talking about someone who is prudent. And someone who is prudent aligns their life with the commands of the coming king. That's what the wise is, is talked about in this passage. Someone who aligns their life according to the commands of the coming king. And as we align our lives, as we seek to grow in the Lord and grow in knowledge of his word and grow in obedience to his word, we are reflecting, we are confirming, we are displaying the work that he began in us. Because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So don't think that, okay, I've got to do all this stuff and then I'm going to earn this. No, he began the work in you, but he's working in you. But the wise are going to align their life to the commands of the king. And so as we press into Christ, know the father is going to conform you to his image and there will be a day of great transformation. Now, as we approach the new year, we often think of transformations. We call them New Year's resolutions, right? So maybe you're going to eat differently because you had too many cookies this month. Or maybe you're going to exercise some. Or maybe 
You're going to start the Bible reading plan that we're going to do as a church because you haven't read through the, the entire Bible from start to finish. So you're going to do that this year with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There could be any number of things you do because you want to change. You want to change something that's here, there. And this year, all the more we're thinking about change. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing signs that talk about how terrible 2020 was. Get it in the past. Next year's going to be so much different. It's going to be so much better. And it's going to be this thing. It's going to be that thing. You put that in the past because it's going to be transformed. Friends, unless Jesus comes back, it's not going to be that great. Even if there was a massive revival across our land, with leaders falling on their faces like we were singing about, or bowing their knee, repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus, or seeing prayer meetings happening in public squares, even if all that happened, it's not even going to touch the transformation that's talked about in this text. It's not going to touch it. This is what it says. And the wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. It's going to shine like the brightness of the sky above. I don't know. When I think about brightness, I think about when I've ever had the opportunity to be like in a room, a bedroom where it's completely dark. So dark, the shades come over it that you can't even see the sunlight coming in. Have you ever had this experience? It seems that parents find great joy when their children are in a dark room like this to open the shades of the curtain uh, when the light shines in. But when that happens, it's, it's just so bright. You're just, oh, like I can't, can't, I can't look at it. Why is it hard for us to look at? Why don't we just wake up and go, oh, I just can't wait to see the brightness? Because we're in the dark. But on this day, no one's going to be like squinting because we won't be in the dark anymore. We're going to shine like the brightness. Our bodies will be glorified. The New Testament actually unpacks this for us so we can know what it looks like. 1 John 3 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You're going to see Jesus as he is, unhindered. We're going to be able to see the Lord because his glory is going to bright up everything. First Corinthians describes this in uh, chapter 15, verse 41. 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Imperishable. We don't talk about this enough, friends. We don't talk about having enough because we've actually lived a really easy life. It's been fairly comfortable thus far. Yes, we may have some, some different trials in our life, but it's been quite easy. But saints over the ages that have experienced persecution and hardship, they're talking about passages like this all the time because they realize, no, this is not it. This is just a small taste and it's passing away because everything is going to change. 
Everlasting life is not boring. I hate the description of like people just kind of sitting on clouds, just kind of like, oh, that's heaven. You're just you're going to walk around in clouds, talking to people in, in robes, and they're just going to be kind of sedated all the time, and that's what heaven's going to be like. It is not at all going to be like that. Shine like the brightness of the sun. And this is what the description of what it's going to look like. In verse, or chapter 21 of Revelation, it says he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So put that with shine brightness, like glorified bodies. No problems, glorified bodies. Why do you think we sing joy to the world? We really shouldn't sing joy to the world just in the Christmas season. We should sing it all the time because he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found because the curse has pervaded the entire world everywhere. It's, it's gone and it's affected everything and we know it's affected everything. When he comes and he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, all that is going to be gone. So far as the curse is found, it is gone. We're going to see something cataclysmically different. It's going to blow our minds, but we're not going to want to shut. We're not going to want to blink because it's going to be so amazing. So the sadness that you might experience today, it's not going to exist. The struggle that you may have won't continue. The broken body that you are experienced completely changed. Affliction of disease, of hurt, of hardship, gone. Glory awaits, shine like the brightness of the sky above. And it changes changes not only our outlook in the future, but it should change the way that we look at each and every person that we encounter. Why? Because everyone you encounter is going to be resurrected. Everyone, they're, they're going to be those that you encounter, those who have trusted in Christ that are going to look so different, you might be, you might be tempted if, if you are in this body now and you encountered them in that body to kind of do what happened with, with Daniel when he encountered the angel. The angel came and he falls on his face and the angel's like, nope, don't worship me, get up. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, he's not talking about you, you can't be a god. He's not saying you're going to achieve something divine like you're going to be God or be exactly like God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying uh, what, you're going to encounter eternal beings. We're all eternal beings. We're going to exist in eternity in one form or another. To remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you talk to may be one day a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Think about that. 
or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. It is immortals whom we joke with or work with or marry or snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We encounter beings that are going to last forever in every conversation that we have. The question is, will that individual be one that will experience the brightness like the sky or will that individual experience separation? And the passage even encourages us to be talking to those who don't know Christ because it says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's like there's something there extra encouraging for those who turn others to righteousness. It doesn't say in particular that it's just those who don't know Christ, but whenever you are fellowshipping with your brother and sister in Christ and they're going led astray, you're turning them to righteousness when you help them to see Christ and turn from their sin, or certainly whenever you share the gospel with your family member or your neighbor, you're helping them to turn from their wicked ways and follow Jesus. And there's blessing that's going to come from that. Because Romans 10 tells us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And how beautiful they will be when they are in their glorified bodies. Because there's going to be a certainty of a great transformation. Now, the fifth certainty is this. There is an anticipated message. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel's message was was sealed up and shut, but has now been discovered this side of the cross. Though the boy who found those scrolls, those scrolls had been hidden for thousands of years, and they were discovered. And those of us who live on this side of the resurrection have the privilege of living in a day when God's mysteries have been revealed. Paul spoke to us about those mysteries being revealed. He said in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make, known, <clears throat> to make the word of God fully known, the mystery 
hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. For Daniel, particulars were hidden, but ultimately, the the vision that was hidden, ultimately it points to Christ. The mystery revealed in Christ. And it's revealed at a time when knowledge will increase. That's what it says. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Doesn't that describe our day? I mean, never in human history have you been able to acquire knowledge to the degree that you can now. And you've got little computers in your pockets, or even you're looking at them right now that can allow you to search any and every topic in a moment. Knowledge will increase. Unfortunately, some and much of the knowledge is worthless knowledge. Amos tells us about it. Amos says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from the sea to sea and wander from the north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Knowledge will increase. But not only is there access to worthless knowledge, there is access to knowledge that saves. Because Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the gospel has been revealed and eternal truths have never been more accessible than they are now. Because of technology, we are able to send the gospel into places that we can't go. You can send the Bible electronically to as many people as you want. God has revealed his truth to us and is hidden from the world in plain sight. May for us, the knowledge that increases is our knowledge about God and about the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go into the coming year, may we be an encouragement to one another to grow in that knowledge because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let's stir one another up because the message has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Now you may not be in the Dead Sea this week having an opportunity to find some scrolls. But in a few days, I'm sure some of you will discover hidden things under a tree, wrapped and concealed. My prayer is that as you discover what's in those gifts, you would be reminded of the greatest discovery of all when you discovered that Jesus came. That Jesus came in the form of a man for you. Though we might wait for Christmas celebrations, though we might not be able to have some of them in the ways that we've had them in the past, we no longer wait for a Savior because Jesus came and humbled himself to lie in a manger so that he could go to the cross to save us from the penalty of our sin. So we 
are waiting at Christmas time, but not for a child to be born. We are waiting for a Savior to return. So don't fear the trouble that is coming. Rather, anticipate your name being in the book because you've trusted in Jesus and anticipate the coming separation, which will lead to the coming transformation when everything will all be changed. So when trouble comes, remember, that means that Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Father, I... Pray, Lord, that we would not take lightly these four verses. I can so easily want to run into the rest of my day and my week and get my tasks accomplished. I can focus on the here and now. And though we want to be faithful now, Father, I pray that you would help us to look to what is coming, to anticipate what is coming, and let that anticipation change who we are today, change how we live today. And Lord, I pray that you would use us. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, there are a number of folks who are going to be engaging with family members and friends over the coming weeks. Lord, would they help those to turn to righteousness? I pray, Lord, for their example, Lord, give them patience, give them understanding, help them to be able to express love and care and compassion. Would they be the aroma of Christ to God to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing? Father, use this body, whether they're seated here in this room or whether they're in the gym or whether they're watching from home. Pray, God, use them mightily as we anticipate the end, which will be glorious because we'll see Jesus face to face. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.